Pastor Chris, I, I love your passion, uh, brother. I, I love your passion. Don't you? Don't you love the passion of our entire children's ministry team? Why don't we give them all a hand? And uh, we, uh, we received that admonishment <laughs> that you had for us and encouragement. And I want to follow that up by saying, please, uh, let's, uh, let's all do our part uh, and, uh, in blessing our kids' ministry team by being faithful this summer and serving. And hopefully God will uh, stir in, in some of our hearts to continue in the fall because we have great need in our kids' ministry. And it's one of the areas of ministry at Central we value uh, the most. It's a, it's, a, it's a high value for us, uh, our children, and teaching them and sharing with them the gospel and the love of Jesus. So I had full intentions uh, this morning of saying it's good to be back, but uh, there are two realities that give me uh, pause, actually a few more. So we were in the Maritimes for three weeks, and I think we're still in that time zone uh, our grandkids, bless their hearts, are up between 5.30 and 6 every morning. So that's it. We're talking, you know, 1.30 to 2 o'clock in the morning, our time. And we're still a little bit in that rut. And we hit the ground running. Uh, the second reality is, is we're moving. And we kind of have to be uh, vacate our, our premise, current premises by Thursday. I guess we don't have to, but I'm not sure that the people who bought our place would really want us living with them. <laughs> Uh, or, you know, get charged with trespassing or something like that. But so, so we got, we got to be out by, uh, by Thursday. And, uh, you know, uh, renovations are getting done on our new place in Agassiz. We're excited to come to Agassiz. It truly is a beautiful, wonderful community. Um, we're, <laughs> we're looking forward to being here. Uh, you know, we're getting some uh, renovations done, which are, uh, lo and behold, but no surprise, because this is just the nature of renos, two weeks behind. So we're going to be living in a place for a couple of weeks without any sinks, any appliances. We gutted the kitchen and the bathrooms. We have a bathtub, so we can do some dishes in the bathtub while we're having a little soak there, I guess. Uh, and uh, we have one toilet. So that's, those are the essentials, right? So I'm just putting it out there that if anybody, you know, uh, from Thursday, probably for the next couple of weeks, wants to have us over for dinner, uh, <laughs> we, we would be, like, just more than happy to accept that invitation. And you don't have to cook like Michael Smith. Uh, we went to his restaurant in PEI a couple of weeks ago, or about a week and a half ago. But, you know, like tenderloin or a ribeye, that would do just fine. <laughs> just saying. My wife is so embarrassed right now. Uh, the other reality is uh, I, I, I completely checked out from this place, which was great. Like, physically, we're not that rested, but mentally, I just let it all go. Didn't think about you a whole lot, so I've, I hope you thought about us more than we thought about you. I needed to do that. It was good. Uh, but then I get back, and on Tuesday, I find out I'm preaching Genesis 19. Welcome home. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Need I say more? If you're brand new here today, uh, I extend my apologies, my condolences. I'm not sure what to say, but uh, we're, we're going to this morning uh, tackle this uh, passage because it falls next in line with where we're going in a series, and that's just the way we do things at Central. We're, we're not a, afraid to tackle tough uh, subjects, topics, passages of Scripture. We don't skirt around them. Uh, we do our best to preach uh, with conviction and compassion. 
And so that's what we're going to do this morning. You know, Friday we needed a little break from all of the work we've been doing. And so we did a different kind of work and we needed to run some errands and buy things for our new place and such. And so we went out for the day 11 hours later and 17 stops and way more money than I anticipated spending. <laughs> we ended up being back at home and, uh, and for a guy who really uh, dislikes shopping, uh, Friday I think was more fun than uh, kind of what we're, uh, than what I'm facing here this morning. But we're not called always to have fun, are we? Sometimes it's just like we got to be faithful, right? And see what God has to say to us. So here we are. Genesis 19. Let's read the text. That's enough of my talking. Let's let God speak today. Genesis uh, 19. We're going to focus on verses uh, 1 through 29. Okay. The two angels, so you have to go back to chapter 18 to figure out what that context is, but there's these two angels that showed up and Abraham had an interaction with them first and now they, they leave his territory and go into Sodom where Lot is. And the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, and all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door, and they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord." And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. 
Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of that city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of those cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley and he looked up and behold the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. The reading of God's word. So um, a number of years ago, before we moved from, we moved from Saskatchewan where my wife and I were both born, we, we ended up in Richmond, uh, of all places, and uh, spent uh, nearly six years there before moving to Chilliwack. And uh, a man in our church had a boat. He decided to get into some yachting, and then I guess figured he didn't like it. So he wanted to sell the boat, and he had to reposition it from Richmond to uh, Granville Island, where it's best to moor such boats for sale. So he invited me um, and our, uh, our kids. Marcy wasn't keen on that idea, but I, I went out on the boat and our kids, and we had a homestay student with us from uh, China. And, and so we're on the boat with him and his kids. And as we're heading down the middle arm of the Fraser towards the open water, the Gulf, um, uh, severe weather cropped up like instantly, and there's all these warnings coming on Environment Canada, like if you're on the Fraser, we, I, I, could, I could hear this, clear as day, if you're on the Fraser, you probably want to turn around and come back in, because it's not a good idea to go out in the open water. Well, this guy's like, yeah, I think we'll be fine. Well, I, I was born with my feet planted firmly on the land, uh, being a prairie boy, and uh, needless to say, I was beyond scared. Uh, when they said a storm, we're talking swells that were larger than our boat, the kind that you, you, know, you can't see over, right? And, and they're, they're coming at us uh, uh, head on, but we need to get not that way where they're coming. We need to go that way, but of course, when the swells are going like this, you can't just go that way or you're going to capsize. So, what should have been maybe a half-hour boat ride turned into hours of just white-knuckle holding on to the rails and praying is <laughs> harder than I've ever prayed in my life as we just went into wave after wave and rode it out far enough and, and timed it just right so that when that wave 
uh, came down, and we were uh, just at the crest of it. He was already planning how we would quick, as quickly as possible turn around and ride the waves back, and we had to go back and forth, kind of like a zigzag all the way from Richmond to Vancouver. And that was the only way to safely navigate that storm, was just to hit it straight on. As scary as it was, that's what we had to do. And this morning, we just have to hit a few big waves head on. <laughs> that's just what we have to do. I know it's scary, but uh, there's no other way to kind of navigate this passage other than to name a few things. So there's three really big questions. And I, wa I want to say this before I, I get into it. I did a little bit at, at the very beginning, but my intention this morning is... Um, as, as hard as it's going to be, is, is to not cause any harm or further harm to people who have uh, felt the negative effects of the topic we're talking about today, which really is, in a, in a large way, homosexuality. Um, there's been so much damage done in people's lives, and it's come at the hands, unfortunately, of a lot of Christian people. And so I want to approach this uh, this morning um, with the intent to uh, be to pr provide healing, to open the uh, the door to further dialogue and conversation, because there are some really good resources and further study out there that will help people who are either either feel trapped in a lifestyle they don't want to be in, or ones that have in, in, in embraced it but maybe have questions or are bitter towards uh, culture or Christians for the way they've been treated or parents, or brothers, or sisters who have family members uh, um, who, who are living a lifestyle that is that's different than what they value, and there's a clash of values, and there's disagreements and arguments, and so I want to acknowledge all of those things, and yet at the same time hold to the values and convictions that I personally have, but are based on the Word of God, because the values that we hold as a church are, first of all, to be centered in the gospel. That is to bring good news and hope into people's lives. Everybody. The whole world. And because there's no two topics right now that are really hotter culturally, morally charged topics, than the, that of uh, homosexuality and, uh, and abortion, right? Right now. So... Church needs to engage. We need to bring good news and hope, and we do that being rooted in the Bible. So we're, we need to, I will let God speak this morning, keep my opinion out of it, other than to say, my heart is to be compassionate. But the three big questions that, that really arise out of this text are, why homosexuality? Um, why was that used to show the great wickedness of this city of Sodom and of Gomorrah? I mean, weren't there other, you know, less culturally charged or sensitive issues at play here? Why, secondly, why judgment? Why, why does God require such spectacular judgment in this instance? I mean, wasn't there another way? And number three, why Lot? Why does God save a man who would readily give up his daughters rather than strangers whom he took in for one night to be guests in his home. Why? And the reality is this message is probably going to raise more questions than I just raised, <laughs> and that's okay. We can talk about those. 
So let's get into these three big waves and just try to meet them head on. Why homosexuality? Because for some people, it's, uh, the, the text at first appearance appears maybe a little ambiguous, and is this really what we're talking about here? So Genesis 19, verse 5, and they called Lot, uh, the people, the men of the city, and they said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. So the word in Hebrew, know, is the word yada. It is used in the Old Testament 943 times. And it can mean two different things. Uh, in 15 instances only, it's used in a, in a sexual nature. In fact, early on in Genesis, um, it says that Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to their firstborn. So it's clearly used in a, in a sexual way, but in so many other ways, it's not. And so what are we talking about here? So surely it is not, you know, hey, Lot, we saw you had a couple of buddies come over and we want to get to know them a bit better too. I mean, maybe we could just hang out a bit, you know, watch a movie, put some steaks on the grill, have a few drinks, just get to know these guys a little bit better. They're strangers. The immediate context gives us the sense that this was a sexual knowing. I mean, in verse 8, it, it says there that Lot offered his daughters who had not known a man. Do with them. Do anything you want with them, but not these guys. I, I have a hard time getting my mind around that, but that's what happened. Then verse 9, these, these men responded to a lot and said, Stand back. We will deal worse with you than with them. So that gives us the indication that this wasn't just a party. <laughs> uh, not even flirtation, as if they were looking to see that they could land maybe a, a, a one-night stand. It is in the escalation that we see the intention of this town is uh, a violent type of sexual encounter, homosexual encounter, to the level of rape. That, that's really what we get from the immediate context, which... Uh, you know, some people have a question, was the sin of Sodom really homosexuality or was it something other, uh, you know, other things which we're going to get into this morning or maybe just, was it just addressing the violent nature of this encounter, you know, the non-consensual aspect of this whole scenario. Um, and so we have to look a little bit outside of this text. I mean, the immediate context to me is fairly clear, but um, we have to look a little outside the text to gain more clarity and so Sodom and Gomorrah is spoken about, written about in a number of different contexts, one of them being Ezekiel chapter 16. So I read a little bit this week, Ezekiel 16. It is a passage that will make you blush, <laughs> big time, very graphic. And so I won't say too much about that other than to say the graphic nature of, of Ezekiel 16 is um, God's people, his chosen people, his bride, prostituting themselves and literally being a whore and not being faithful to the one who made covenant with them. Enough said. And then in verse 49, Ezekiel says this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister, Sodom. So whether he's putting them on the same 
in the same family, and he said, she and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. So certainly there's other sins here. We see in the context of Ezekiel 16, which refers to Sodom, we see pride. And we all know what comes before a fall, right? There's other things going on here. These people were proud. They had no use for God. Uh, there was gluttony. So maybe I take back my, uh, my uh, what do you call it, request for uh, food for the next couple of weeks. Okay, have us over for vegetable broth, okay? We, we, we ate really well on our, ho- uh, our holidays back east. We did. We enjoyed ourselves. So there's gluttony going on, and there is oppression of the poor. As people are thinking about nobody, certainly not God, themselves, making sure they were looked after and ignoring the needs of the people around them. So this gives us enough to suggest that Sodom was not guilty in the traditional manner. But what about the other thing that Ezekiel mentions? Pride, excess food, prosperous ease, not aiding the poor and needy. They were haughty, that's pride and did an abomination before me. What is this abomination? A little muddy, uh, maybe, but in Ezekiel 16, abomination was clearly in a sexual context, and it is the one word used of sexual sin in Leviticus 18, which specifically refers to homosexuality. The other ones are referred to as sin, don't do this. One of them, a perversion, but homosexuality and abomination. So then we look at other biblical reflections. The author, Jude, in his book, uh, verse 7, said, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. So unnatural desire is actually, uh, you could also be translated other flesh. So put that in your back pocket because we're going to come back to that in reference to early Genesis, earlier Genesis. We're in 19. We've got to go back to chapters 1 and 2. So they pursued unnatural desire, other flesh, um, and served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. That's what Jude wrote. This places the sexual immorality and homosexuality of Genesis 19 squarely in the realm of sin and confirms what is found not just in Leviticus 18 and 20, but in Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 16, and in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, I want to say this, and and then give us a strong exhortation. Um, I I say us, because this is for me, folks. This is for me. God was preparing me for this uh, message long before I even knew that I would be preaching this text this morning. Because when when we left on our trip, got on the airplane in Abbotsford, and... uh, flew to Calgary, and the first thing I do usually is I sit down and I pick up the, you know, the WestJet magazine and I just read through it. Nine pages dedicated to um, uh, gay, um, what do you call it, like uh, destination spots, like holidays that WestJet can like uh, facilitate for you. Nine hotspots around the world that uh, you can just have all of this pleasure fulfilled. 
And then I get, uh, we switch planes in Calgary, Calgary to Toronto. Uh, we're on this brand new jet. Not the Max 8, <laughs> thank goodness. It's the, uh, the Dreamliner, right? <laughs> uh, nine seats across. It's a large plane. So uh, Marcy and I are sitting there next to me is a, a, young, a young fellow who was gay. And, uh, and then from Toronto, well, we land in the Maritimes and we spent some time in PEI and we went to Charlottetown for a little bit, enjoyed lunch there. And there was all these people in downtown Charlottetown who were uh, having, a th I'm not sure if it was their first, but it was maybe first of the season raising of the, uh, the, the flag, right, of uh, gay pride flag. And then the streets were just crowded with people. And then I get back, and, uh, and I'm catching up on the news, which I tend to ignore while I'm on holidays. And one of the first, you know, things that I see is the, de the, the sort of the raging debate in Africa, Kenya in particular, over the, the banning of gay sex. Which is a huge debate there, just like there is currently in, in the state of Alabama over abortion, right? So God was preparing me, and uh, to my shame, I would say that I often have uh, a very uh, judgmental, uh, uncomfortable, uncaring attitude, as I'm sure many in the church do. And then I get to preparing for this, and I go, oh Lord, have mercy on me, on me. And, and, and you have to I have to think to myself, why do I, why do we treat adultery, lust, divorce, greed, gossip, gossip, which is probably they've done more damage to the Church of Christ um, over the centuries than any other sin. Um, premarital sex, we're, like we're talking uh, sexual immorality that covers a whole gamut of things. Um, lying, the Bible is big on telling the truth. Slander, or even worry. One of the things that we, that Ken says in Freedom Session, when, as I take it, it catches me off guard every time I go through. It's been five times now, but he said, we, whoop, we dismiss worry as if it's nothing, and yet Jesus says very clearly, do not worry. I've got you. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. God if God is going to clothe the flowers and, and, and give the birds their feed, isn't going to get to treat you so much better. And yet we worry all the time, and it's something Jesus says we shouldn't do, and that means that worrying is sin. So why do we treat that different? Or being idle. We were admonished this morning by Pastor Chris, and we, we actually, prior to the service, was, we're in, in prayer time reading 1 Thessalonians 5, and it says, admonish the idle. Uh, to, to be idle is not good. So why do we treat those things different than homosexuality? I mean, Jesus talked more about money and divorce than he did about this issue. And again, let's not forget that pride comes before all manner of falls all manner of things whose orientation, this is a matter of orientation, but the orientation is our orientation away from Christ. Homosexuality being just one of many sins that is so easily, so easily entangles. Why do we find it easier to come alongside 
and celebrate someone's freedom or sobriety or to help somebody in, you know, their addiction to alcohol or pornography or habitual lying or even their abusive behavior, yet shun the gay community or find it difficult to even be around someone who is same-sex attracted, let alone active. And so our propensity is to take the place of judge of God instead of the place of Abraham who pled with God for mercy and had compassion on those caught up in the wickedness of the culture that sucked them in. Oh, how we need the heart of Abraham, the intercessor, the intermediary, the one who cared about the destruction of souls. And that's how this conversation needs to be framed. Came across a quote recently by Rick Warren, and he said, you know, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. And he said, both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. And I agree 100%. We need to be compassionate because we all need compassion. Amen? We're getting there. We're getting there. And that's what this table is all about. So back to the question. If this is just one in a list of sins, why is it used here? I think the author is, is intending to show how distorted Sodom is from God's initial intention, was, which was not you know, that long before. We're, we're still in Genesis here. So Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And in, and in the next chapter, God says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, male and female, and they shall become one flesh. There's that one flesh, whereas in Jude it talks about unnatural desires, which is another flesh. So the author here is using a physical example of Sodom to show a spiritual reality. How wicked was Sodom? It was wicked enough to distort the very created order of God, the way he designed things to happen and be from the very beginning. And you go to Romans chapter 1, and long before you read, well, not long before, homosexuality is addressed in chapter 2, but in chapter 1 it says that the, the beginning of all of this is that we begin to worship and glorify the created rather than the creator who was ever to be praised. As soon as we take our eyes off, our, off of our creator, off of Jesus, we, and we begin to literally worship and glorify everything else. And it leads us down a path of all manner of destruction. So let's move on. We could, we could camp here a long time. Why? Judgment. There was a point 
where this judgment seems ludicrous, harsh, unjust, too far. Why did, why did God treat this situation different than he did Nineveh? Where he sent Jonah. Jonah, who didn't want to go to that wicked place, and he tried to run. And he landed up on a ship that got into a storm. You, you probably know the story, but if you don't, Jonah tried to run. God told him to go to Nineveh and ask them, to declare his word and ask them to repent. And, and Jonah said, you know what, I'm not doing that because I know that you're a merciful God. They're going to repent and everything's going to be okay and I don't like those people. <laughs> I'm not going. Well, God had other plans. The ship got into trouble that he's trying to hide out on and the sailors were freaking out and Jonah says, you know what, this is my fault. Throw me in the sea. A great fish swallowed him and spit him on the land and said, now Get over to Nineveh, because that's where you're supposed to be. And so Jonah goes there, and I would imagine he wasn't uh, the best preacher in the world that day, and he stands in front of the people and says, okay, this is what you're doing wrong. Now God says repent. Okay, there, I'm done. <laughs> Short sermon. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. God needs faithful people. He doesn't need the most eloquent. He just wants the message to get out. And God is merciful, but here, he, why burn Sodom but save Nineveh through someone who didn't even want to be there? You see, there's two sides to this judgment coin, and, and this is all leading us again to this table that we need to understand about uh, the justice of God and the mercy of God. There's this this coin called judgment has two sides. The one is for the oppressed, the victim, the one who gets something that they need. And the other side of this coin called judgment is for the oppressor, the perpetrator, the one who gets what they deserve. So what about justice for those who are oppressed? Psalm 10 why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Arise, O oh Lord, O oh God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. There was many people in Sodom and Gomorrah who were afflicted by what was happening in their city. They were being tormented. And they were crying out to the Lord, and the Lord heard their cry. Genesis 18.20, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. So we say, yes, the oppressed, is, the oppressed will get justice. But what about if you're on the other side of the coin? You're the oppressor. You're the perp. You see, the Pharisees, who were very judgmental, challenged Jesus one time and his disciples in this whole area because of tradition. And they kind of raised the idea with Jesus that, you know, um, why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat? Don't you know that, you know, they're going to be defiled by what's unclean, dirty? Essentially, it's kind of what's out there, that the evil out there, that if I don't touch it, if I don't see it, if I don't get involved in it, then I'm okay, I'll be clean. And Jesus debunks all of that, and he says, not only have we, you know, deceived ourselves when we think that we can keep ourselves from touching anything unclean. And by the way, Jesus purposely touched that was unclean, and he didn't become unclean. 
they became clean. Amen? And Jesus did not become unclean. It's okay to touch. It's okay to get near the evil that we're surrounded by. We have to. That's what Jesus did. So he said, not only have we deceived ourselves when we think that we can keep ourselves from touching anything unclean, we deceive ourselves regarding the very nature of sin. So in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said, for out of the heart, it starts on the inside. It's not what's out there that makes you clean that you don't touch or not touch necessarily, but it, evil comes from the heart. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, these are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. And friends, that places me in Sodom. That places me standing at that door with everybody else wanting to knock it down. That's what Jesus says. Our hearts are wicked. There's nothing good in me, Paul said, that lives. Wretched man I am. That places all of us in the position of being tripped up by sin that so easily entangles. All of us. Now Derek uh, Rish, I don't even know how to say his last name, Rish Maui, said, we might not repeat racist jokes, but we don't say much when we hear them. We might not traffic sex workers, but we've watched porn that does. We might not steal from our neighbors, but we keep and spend money on ourselves we know we could give. Every person has something that doesn't fall in line with the standard of a righteous and a holy God. All of us. So this reality should do a couple of things for us this morning. Number one, it should instill in us literally a fear and a trepidation of the wrath of God. Psalm 130, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? No one. Everybody demands justice, justice, until God's justice comes and then we cry, mercy, mercy. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. And when Jesus heard that prayer, as opposed to the long, flowery, long-winded prayers of the Pharisees, he was more impressed with that. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because that's honest. And this reality should not only instill in us a fear and trepidation of the wrath of God, but also great comfort for the victims of suffering and abuse and sin. And I want to say to you this morning that the Lord hears your cries and he will make things right. He will. We sang about it this morning. Great is thy faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning. So to end, we need to ask this question, why Lot? I mean, let's go over his track record. Uh, verse, nine, uh, verse 1, the, the angels came to Sodom in the evening, 
and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So here is a guy who's been in the community now for a couple of decades. He has influence. He's a leader. He knows what's going on around him. Scripture even says that he's distressed, but he's there, and he's kind of going with the flow. And in verse 6, Lot went out to the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. And then in verse 8, this blows my mind. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they've come under the shelter of my roof. And I go, what? By the way, this act as well, Lot offering up his daughters is also equally condemned in Leviticus, Leviticus 18, along with homosexuality. And then in sort of the icing on the cake, verse 16 of our text, but he lingered. But he lingered. He was repeatedly warned, and yet he lingered. And that's the nature of sin. And that's the nature, and that's our sinful nature, isn't it? He was comfortable where he was. He had prominence. He was prosperous. He had ease. Life was good. Crops were growing. He knew things weren't right, but he was tolerating it. And he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. They finally, these guys had had enough. They told them three times, I think, and they said, come on, let's go. They seized him, his, him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So Peter picks up on this in the New Testament, and he says, if he, God, rescued righteous Lot, what? Righteous Lot, if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. How is this possible that Lot is righteous? I mean, Peter, have, have you read verse 8? Or have you read verses 30 to 38 that we didn't even get to this morning? <laughs> We get a hint from the very end of our passage, Genesis 19, verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham. What? God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. God remembered Abraham, the one who pled, the one who mediated, the one who stood in the gap, the one with whom God had made a covenant. And oh, by the way, God made a new covenant with us. If we accept the terms... He made a new covenant in the one who ever lives to intercede, in the one who mediates, in the one who stood in the gap on that hill far away where that old rugged cross stood. God made a covenant with us through Jesus, the one who fulfilled all of the previous covenants, including the one we've been talking about in this series, the one who not only pleads with God but took upon himself the sin of the entire world, 
including not only Sodom's sin, but my sin and your sin. And he bore the full and furious wrath of God so that the justice of his righteousness and the mercy of his love for you and for me, the vilest offenders, can lead us to be saved from the impending wrath of God because and only because of the grace and the mercy and the love of his son, Jesus Christ. That was poured out upon the cross where his life was given that we might be forgiven, made clean, declared holy and righteous, just like Lot. What are the terms of this new covenant? One, faith in Jesus Christ. That is it. That's it. We don't deserve that, friends. We don't deserve it. But we get it, and it's free. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is free, but it cost him everything. So the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Those are the terms of the covenant. Put your faith in Christ. For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen? That's good news, because all of us really could be put to shame in a heartbeat. If we had our thoughts and our actions somehow on a computer displayed on that screen, would you want to sit in this room having everybody else watch it? I don't think so. But whoever puts their hope and their faith in him will never be put to shame. Will you do that this morning? Forget the game of thrones. Come to the throne of grace. (laughs) Tired of this game of thrones thing. We got to start talking more about the throne of grace. To receive mercy. To receive mercy in our time of need the undeserved favor, merit, and blessing of God through Christ. So this morning, if you've believed in him, if you've put your faith in Jesus, the one and the only one who can do what you can't, that is to save you from impending wrath from Sodom, then you are invited to partake of the bread and the cup of communion this morning with us. The two elements that we're going to show and hold and smell and taste those two elements which symbolize the extent of God's love for you. When his son Jesus bore that full wrath of God on the cross in his broken body represented in the bread and his shed blood represented by the juice in the cup, it's going to be a good moment. (laughs) I love communion. Have mercy, Lord, on me.